The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Strap on your parachute, it's time for What Goes Up with Sarah Ponzik and Mike Regan. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg Weekly Markets podcast. I'm Sarah Ponsek, a reporter on the cross-asset team. And I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor at Bloomberg. This week on the show, what a year it has been. And now there's just one week left. Still, the holiday season hasn't slowed the news flow too much, with Congress finally passing a stimulus bill and a new strain of the virus now causing concerns. With all the hope and optimism circulating for 2021, how different will the year truly be? Our guests will share with us the key themes for how to invest for success in the year ahead. And as always, we'll close out the episode with our gimmick. I mean, tradition, Sarah, not gimmick. The craziest thing I saw in markets this week. And uh, I got a decent one, Sarah. I don't know about you. I'm, I got one from Twitter. So I'm starting to finally feel those Twitter crazy things that you've been uh, reaping the benefits of for so long. So I, I got a good one now. I'll go ahead and say it flat out. I think decent is a good way to describe mine this week. I'm not going to say it's above and beyond. Not, not going to hype it up too much. It's decent. So you're setting the uh, setting the bar low. You're like a Wall Street analyst. You're setting the yeah, expectations, exactly. managing expectations. But this week on the show, uh, for the first time, we're very happy to have her. She's the head of thematic strategy at J.P. Morgan Private Bank. Her name is Anastasia Amoroso. Anastasia, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's it's great to have you on the show. You know, uh, Anastasia, I'm thinking, boy, as far as thematic investing goes, one theme kind of stands out above all others this year, you know, the whole virus and the stay at home versus the reopening stocks. But I'm just curious how you're thinking about sort of the state of the markets right now. Um, The virus is flaring up. Obviously, we have this new strain in the UK people seem to be worried about. We finally got some fiscal stimulus, uh, another fiscal stimulus package out of Washington. What's next? I mean, I, I, is the stimulus almost uh, people worried it's a sell the news event? Do you feel like it's it's hard to sort of get people excited about the near future now until we actually start to get into 2021 and see if the virus really is going away at sort of the fast pace that we hope it will with the vaccines? How are you sort of looking at the, the next couple months in, in terms of the markets? Yeah, Mike, it's a good question. You know, here we are. We just got this fiscal stimulus that we've been waiting for for weeks and months, and the markets are kind of taking this in stride and maybe shrugging their shoulders a little bit. And I think the reason for that is because the expectations for that stimulus have been building for some time. So it is the sell the news uh, sort of event. So I want to emphasize a couple of points about it. First of all, it had to happen. So we're not kind of experiencing the market bounce on the news because that was largely baked in. But had it not happened, I think this would have been a pretty negative development for the market. So I am glad that Congress got it done. And then the second point here is you think of the economy and the individuals that are collecting those unemployment benefits. This had to happen because the reality is the next couple of months are going to be tough for the economy. And we're starting to see this in some of the alternative data we look at. 
We'll look at mobility indicators. We'll look at restaurant bookings. And all of those are suggesting that we're likely going to see some downside surprises to our payroll numbers. So I'm glad it happened for the economy. I'm glad it happened for the individuals that are in these hard impacted sectors. And I'm also glad that it did happen for the markets. Now, having said that, the biggest force that we're going to be looking for next year, of course, is the vaccine. And the vaccine trumps a lot of things, including those alternative data indicators and including the lockdowns and including the fiscal stimulus. If we can get not two, but three or four, maybe five vaccines rolled out to the world population next year, that's really going to be the game changer. And that's what I think the markets are looking forward to. So with that said, a lot of investors, a lot of strategists that I hear from commonly look to the vaccine and the hopes of the vaccine that we get it finally rolled out maybe through mid next year. And that would be great for markets, great for the economy. And they say that that is a reason to start rotating into more cyclical assets. Uh, we've seen it uh, in the end of 2020. We saw this rotation really take hold with financials and energy, you name it. Uh, but something that really stuck out to me in the notes that were sent over to us before the podcast is that you say, we think the best place to look for stocks that could double, triple, or quadruple are in these three megatrends. And I do want to get all three of them, digital transformation, healthcare innovation, and sustainability. And focusing on the first, digital transformation, in comparison with this idea of a rotation, is it true that we are going to see this rotation away from digital transformation, away uh, from big tech, away from smaller technology companies too, when it's something that is just so entrenched in our economy these days? Yeah, Sarah, it's really hard to envision that we would transition away from this uh, digital transformation megatrend. And the reason I say that is the whole term megatrend really means that these are durable and secular forces that are going to change and shape and disrupt our world and our lives for years to come. So years, not quarters and not even a couple of years, but really for the next three to five years. So this notion of digital transformation is not going to go away next year even though we've done so much of it this year, but it's going to evolve and it's going to transition. If you think about what we digital transformed this year is the work from home, this, this spend from home and the workout from home types of industries. And I do think it is time to perhaps lighten up on some of those exposures that have to do with our ability to function uh, in a home setting. However, there's many more vert industry verticals that have yet to be digital transformed. And one particular one that we're looking for is the factory floor and the so-called factory of the future. You know, if you think about the manufacturing sector, obviously it was hit hard this year and it's now rebounding. But the manufacturing sector has been in a precarious situation since 2011 because the productivity in the manufacturing sector has not actually risen since 2011. And as you think about building the factory of the future, you realize that robotics and automation and embedding 5G and allowing those robots to run on 5G, that could be a significant productivity boost. For example, we're looking for cost savings from automation to be around 8.5%, and we're, look, we're looking for productivity gains to be around 20%. So here we are in this cyclical environment where we're just in the early part of the cycle and companies are trying to rebuild their earnings growth streams. And one way that they may be thinking about doing that is actually embedding more robotics and more automation because that does uh, pay a return on investment. So I think that's one of the angles that we want to take with digital transformation in 2021. 
um, because we like industrials, but we also like the secular flavor to these industrials with digital twin software and then robotics and automation, of course. Yeah, Anastasia, I want to get to your themes for, for next year, too, because uh, one of them, uh, one line really popped out at me is pretty interesting. Investors should consider using leverage next year. And I find that fascinating because I feel like a lot of people are scared to death of just the word leverage. You know, it, it, it obviously can compound your gains, but also risky on the downside. What is it about sort of the, the current environment? I mean, I assume these rock bottom interest rates are part of it and a decent macro outlook for, for 2021. But walk us through sort of why it's a good environment to think about leverage and how you would sort of advise clients to, to go about that. Sure, Mike. I think it's the right question to ask and the right disclaimer to put in front of it is we absolutely have <laughs> to be careful and thoughtful about how we deploy leverage. But the reason why we're having this discussion today is because this has actually been a phenomenal year for fixed income and yields have plummeted, which is not all that phenomenal, but it has led to phenomenal returns for investors. But with yields now really at these very, very low levels across the curves and across the credit spectrum, investors are looking for opportunities for yield. And one of the ways, one of the opportunities to boost yield is, of course, to deploy a little bit of leverage, a turn of leverage, whatever is prudent, but also boost your returns. Uh, the reason why we th this is an opportune environment to do that is because from the economic standpoint, I think we're going to be in a more stable uh, place in 2021. So we shouldn't have to worry about credit events. And when we talk about applying leverage, the types of bonds that we'd want to buy are high quality investment grade or very high quality upper tier high yield bonds. So you're managing that credit risk very carefully. But on the other side, um, you know, the concern about deploying leverage is what if you have interest rates shoot up or what if you have a market risk off event or what if the Fed raises rates? And none of those are really uh, issues that uh, are likely to play out in 2021. So you're taking advantage of these rock bottom rates and you're probably boosting your, your yield by one and a half or two percentage points. Okay, so so I should not take out a margin loan to buy a triple levered <laughs> Bitcoin exposed ETF uh, or Tesla or something like that. That, that is not the recommendation. Um, <laughs> no, you're, um, you're reading deep into these notes and reading what you want to see, Mike. <laughs> that is right, definitely right. not in there. Uh, but high quality, high yield uh, investment grade is certainly something. Fine, that fine, fine. Think about on leverage. <laughs> As Sarah knows, I, I love the three X ETFs. I'm a big fan. He does. He he loves his three X ETFs. Mike Mike uh, amps up the leverage. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a joke for everyone listening. <laughs> Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Clearly, with fixed income, you have to get a bit creative, but it sounds like you're not saying dump it all together. You can still find yield. You can still find opportunity. What does this mean, though, 
on the equity side of the equation. Like you said, one of the factors that is not likely to occur in 2021 is the Fed raising interest rates. So does this mean that we can just continue to see high equity valuations be sustainable and the stock market just continue to rise even after what was a phenomenal year for financial markets and what was a not so phenomenal year in in real life, quite honestly? Yeah, the answer to your question, Sarah, is I think the valuations can remain around these elevated levels. And it is a bit unnerving. Look at the equity markets and seeing it 20 times, 21, 22 times multiple that's associated with it. But this is the reality just given how low interest rates are. And like anything else, when you have a certain market condition, it takes something to dislodge it. So for us to see materially lower multiples or for them to become unsustainable, you really need to have either a growth event or a rates higher event happening. And our base uh, baseline outlook is the GDP is going to rebound next year in the U.S. to 3.3 percent. Um, so that's a strong rebound. And then we're not going to see materially higher interest rates maybe a backup of 40 basis points or so on a 10-year treasury, but that's just not enough to impact the multiple. Because the other thing that really controls the multiple is what is the earnings growth going to be? And we're looking for high double-digit earnings growth in 2021. So even if we get a little bit of multiple compression, I think some of the earnings uh, uh, boost potential definitely offsets that. And not to mention revisions. You know, a lot of the bottoms up analyst estimates are still likely uh, fairly conservative and we can see those get revised higher in 2021. Anastasia, let's circle back to the idea of healthcare innovation, because this past year, we have seen pretty magnificent rallies in many biotech stocks, also some digital healthcare stocks. I'm thinking the likes of Teladoc. Considering the runs that we've already seen this year, where are you guys looking within the space, within the idea, the trend, the megatrend of healthcare innovation uh, to kind of move that and direct that into investment? Yeah, it has been a stellar year for, of course, all things healthcare, but especially the telemedicine side of it. And you've seen uh, some of those stocks rally just as much as some of the video conferencing stocks and some of the electric vehicle stocks. So it's been a significant rally. Um, I think we might give some of that back next year as the world ventures out of this digital lockdown and goes to uh, doing more and more business in person. So I'm a little bit cautious on that space. But where we are looking is in the biotech and pharma uh, breakthrough innovation. And obviously, the coronavirus pandemic has been just a devastating um, development in terms of mortality outcomes, over 1.6 million deaths. And that is just devastating. Uh, but there's other unmet uh, significant issues. And top of mind there is cancer. If you can think about cancer, uh, over 9 million deaths is what we've seen due to cancer in 2018. So a significant unmet need. And a lot of healthcare R&D dollars are looking for breakthrough solutions for cancer therapy. So as we think about investing for the next five years, I think a lot of that R&D effort that's going into the space right now is likely to pay off. And so the rough estimates is that based on the R&D that's in the space right now, uh, we could see the revenues of the NASDAQ biotech index almost double in the next four years. And so from the aggregate standpoint, that's what makes investing in biotech uh, so compelling is because all else equal, even if you don't have multiple expansions, but the revenues of the sector double, you should see uh, stock prices reflect that uh, quite a bit. 
So that's the reason, um, Sarah, why the last five years have not actually been particularly good for biotech because we've not seen the revenue earnings growth come through. But the next five years should mean 27% on average earnings growth. And so that's why I think you're seeing this breakout in biotech out of this long five-year range. So that's on the macro level. And on the micro level, again, uh, within healthcare innovation, we're very excited about the potential for personalized cancer treatments. And it's interesting because the companies that are at the forefront of vaccines, like Moderna and BioNTech, they're now known as vaccine companies. But the reality is the research, the mRNA research they're conducting, they're investigating its potential to treat cancer. And I think the breakthroughs that we made on the vaccine front could actually lead to um, potentially approved personalized cancer vaccines. Yeah, I want to get back to that uh, green energy theme, uh, Anastasia. I know it's a theme that you've you've done a lot of work on. Sarah, this is probably a good time to remind people that I am not actually Joe Biden's uh, nominee to head the EPA, even though we, we share the same name. I, you really need that disclaimer in there. You need a disclaimer about leverage and you need a disclaimer about the fact that you are not going to run the EPA. Right. Mike if, if, <laughs> if you came to this podcast thinking that was your guy that, uh, you, you know, you could get some insights. It's it's not me. I am a fan of the environment. I will say. I'm not just not in charge of it. I'm a a, uh, a tree hugger at heart, which I, I might be dating myself with that term. That's that's uh, you're not dating. It, yourself. it might sound it's uh, kind of weird to your generation, but that's that's what we called environmentalists back in my day. But <laughs> but Anastasia, I have a lot of questions. This is going to be sort of a setup for my famous 12 part question. So I, I hope you're, you're ready here. But I I think it's a fascinating theme, a super important theme, not just for the market, but just for the, the planet in general. Um, but a, a few questions I, I, I have. A, if you could kind of just walk us through how you were thinking about green energy and electric vehicles and the whole space going forward. Secondly, how important is this Georgia Senate runoff election in January when it comes to that theme? Obviously, Joe Biden needs that Democratic uh, support in the Senate to enact a, a very um, aggressive green energy agenda. I'm not sure how much that matters over the long term to this theme. And third and finally, I wonder how much interest there is in this type of investing just from sort of the ESG perspective, whether, you know, people like me who actually do give a darn about the environment, whether they're willing to say, accept maybe, you know, less than market returns in exchange for a clear conscience. I'm just kind of, if you could wrap all those 25 questions in, into one answer, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd be curious what you have to say. You doubled your 12? I did, yeah. How many? Did, 25? You, did you count I all those, Sarah? Was, I think it was three. So uh, three, we'll try right, to three. tackle them one by one. I'm, here. I'm, losing, my, I'm losing my touch. All right, three. <laughs> um, so, you know, Mike, uh, great questions. And starting with your first one is, what is the overarching thesis for investing in clean energy and why has it gained so much traction this year? Uh, you know, you're right. This is not a new theme that just all of a sudden emerged this year. This has been in the making for years, if not decades. But what's critically different about it this year is that you have three events that are coming together to make this a very compelling theme. So first of all, you've got this immense government support, especially coming out of the COVID pandemic. And I'm not talking about the United States necessarily. I'm talking about Europe that has approved more than $600 billion in green stimulus for the next several years. I'm talking about China, who uh, who committed to being carbon neutral by 2060 and to have their emissions peak by 2030. 
So here you're talking about the largest CO2 emitter in the world taking this huge step forward. Uh, I'm talking about the United States, not necessarily from the perspective of the green infrastructure stimulus, uh, but the states themselves, 29 different states have renewable policy standards and targets, and those are already in play. So you've got this global government push for clean energy. And this is combining uh, forces with uh, the cost of renewables that have just dropped significantly over the last 10 years. And then the third point that's really adding fuel uh, to the fire here for clean energy is the corporate interest. If we look at corporations around the world, a quarter of the global Fortune 500 companies have said they're going to go either carbon neutral by 2030 or they're going to have 100% renewable energy commitment. So, you know, other metrics suggest that 242 companies worldwide have a 100% renewable energy target. So you look at those three forces and we've just not seen that confluence, um, you know, in the last 10 or 20 years, but we're seeing it today. And I think that's what's finally marking uh, 2020 as the pivotal point for clean energy. So that's the answer to your first question. And that's, that's the thesis itself. Now, the second part of your 25 point question you know, what about the Democratic uh, seats that are up for grabs? What if they are, what if the Georgia races do not end up going the Democratic way? Does this sort of put a hold on the Biden green energy agenda? And I would say, no, not necessarily, and perhaps not at all. Because one of the things that the next president, President Biden, can do is he can, and he has stated that he wants to re-enter the Paris Climate Accord. So that's something that the executive can do. Um, the second point is, even if this is not a blue wave, it's not a Democratic majority, it is about the economics, the economic fundamentals of clean energy. And so whether it's companies like ours, whether it's companies like Google and Microsoft and Facebook, part of the reason why companies are adopting clean energy, A, it's beneficial for the environment, but B, uh, it actually costs less. So I think infrastructure stimulus or not, this is not why those stocks are running higher. They're moving higher because the earnings growth is there. And we actually have a pretty good visibility into that earnings growth. So you know, and this is gets to your third part of the question is valuation. She's good. She got all three parts. That's amazing. <laughs> she needs to pat herself on the back. Usually I'm, I'm lucky if I like half of the questions. Even good. <laughs> That's very good. We're, Those were good questions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You know, part three is also important because you look at the valuations of these companies, the clean energy companies, they have literally doubled since the beginning of the year. And you look at the inflows into some of those thematic clean energy ETFs, um, they uh, they rose anywhere between three times and five times in terms of their assets under management. So there's been a significant interest going into the space. 
And now you might be thinking, well, that's a lot of money chasing this, you know, very, very hot theme. Um, maybe the valuations are stretched. Well, maybe they are if you look at the PE only. But if you look at the multiples and adjust that for growth, and some of these companies are growing at 30, 40 percent, um, that's a very different story. Some of those companies are trading on the peg ratio right in line with the S&P and clearly offering a, um, a much, uh, much more exciting growth trajectory. So how do you actually put this to work? Of course, when a lot of people think of how to invest somehow in clean energy, their minds might go to that electric vehicle stock that may not be named. <laughs> but at the same time, of course, there are many other ways to invest in the clean energy space. Can you give us a sense of either some industry level derivative plays or just other ways within the industry that people can get involved away from the electric vehicle space? Yeah, sure. So I think it's a twofold discussion, both on electric vehicles and renewables. And we'll start with electric vehicles. We don't necessarily think that the automakers themselves are going to be the most compelling um, from the investment returns going forward. But if you look at the supply chain, there's a lot of moving parts. For example, there's the battery manufacturers. And you have the, the Korean, the Japanese, uh, the Chinese battery manufacturers. They're significantly ramping up their battery manufacturing capacity. And as you can tell, the demand for it is just heating up. Um, you can think about semiconductor stocks that go into the electric vehicles. And you actually need five times the semiconductor content, the power semiconductor content for an AV relative to a traditional car. So you have companies in the United States, but also Germany that are capitalizing on that. You've got this huge potentially uh, recycling business that we've talked very little about, but all this lithium battery technology that's going to proliferate, all of that is going to need to be recycled. So we're looking for some of those solutions. And so this brings me to clean energy. You know, historically, we could have looked at the solar panels, but that technology has frankly been commoditized and that and I don't think that's the biggest opportunity for return generation. But once again, if you look at the power optimizer technology uh, that makes the solar panel uh, work more efficient and makes that conversion from the direct sunlight to the alternating current more efficient, those companies are experiencing significant earnings growth. If you look at residential installers, I would point this out as the last area uh, that we quite like, the residential installations for the next several years are going to grow at 12%. And this is outpacing the commercial that will be growing at 6%. And this is outpacing utility scale that is actually going to decline by 4% over the next few years. So this residential solar is a big sweet spot uh, in renewable energy right now. So residential installers and contractors that are tied to that should really do quite well. Very well. Anastasia, I know one of your themes for next year is real assets, um, but I think it's time for us to move on to crazy assets. Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. I will tell you, my craziest thing of the week actually is a real hard asset. Probably not the kind you're advising clients to buy, Anastasia, but still a real asset nonetheless. So uh, why don't I start with, I'll start with mine then. And uh, Sarah, as I know you like to play, this allows us to play some prices right as well. My favorite game, especially heading into the holidays, Mike. Okay. And this is, yeah, and happy holidays to all our listeners. I, I almost, bah humbug, I almost forgot about all, all these holidays. <laughs> Uh, this was sent to me courtesy of a listener in New Zealand, which, A, I think is pretty cool that we have uh, listeners in New Zealand. Uh, his name is uh, Jeff Bilbro. 
and he's pointing out a couple of purchases of Pokemon cards. Again, Anastasia, I don't know what sort of allocation you, you tell clients to have for Pokemon cards, but you might reconsider after you hear uh, what these sold for. So, Sarah, I, don't, I have no idea what Pokemon is. I, this was way after my time. Uh, look, I'll say I was a big, avid Pokemon girl. You were? Alongside my siblings, we have two full binders. No way! <laughs> of Pokemon cards. I, they've, they've been in storage for quite a while. I don't know if we have any that are worth anything special uh but next time i'm down in florida with the family you know i'm gonna have to check it out because they were actually lost for a while and we thought someone had stolen them uh and then they reappeared so the you saga know, of the pokemon cards i might offer to buy the whole binder after reading this story uh <laughs> but okay i don't know i don't know what charizard is do you know charizard 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 okay a charizard card from a first edition Charizard card. I don't know if that matters. From the 1999 Pokemon set. One sold a couple months ago uh, or a couple weeks ago. And then another just sold. Price is right on, on either one. How much would you pay for a first edition 1999 Pokemon card of Charizard or however you say it? Uh, I'm going to go. I could be so off here. I'll, I'll go with 12000 Okay. I'm going to keep a, a poker face. Anastasia, you're on the spot there. What is your bid for uh, for this ridiculous thing? I am so going to defer to Sarah on this. So I'm just going <laughs> to go a little bit higher, 15000 But absolutely Always go, no yes. clue. <laughs> it's, That's it's, the right move. A good trend has been to outbid Sarah by like a dollar over the last few weeks. <laughs> okay, the first one sold for 226000 U.S. dollars. Oh my god! Second gosh. one, three hundred sixty-nine thousand. I should have just bought that binder of your cards off you. Sorry for. I think supposedly the issue is I don't think we have any first edition cards. They're very rare. <laughs> I guess I don't. I don't know that much. Um, but you know, next time I'm, I'm down visiting the family, I'm going to dig up that binder and do my due diligence and make sure that's, <laughs> that's the case after hearing those numbers. I want a commission on what I, on if, if you have a Charizard in there. All right, you got it. We'll have, to, we'll have to have an agreement, though. I assume this is not the type of real assets you're, you're talking about for... Uh, no, not exactly. Although this, uh, <laughs> this sounds pretty good. <laughs> Mike's just sitting there thinking, why do I need an apartment when I can buy a first edition Charizard card? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. This is why Change I'm a hoarder, by the way. I don't throw anything out. You never know, Sarah. This is why, why I hoard everything. So. <laughs> Let's get the focus back on the important stuff, the crazy stuff uh, here, Sarah. What's what's your craziest thing of the week? All right. So I'll bring it back. Uh, actually, we'll keep it close to markets uh, this week. Something that was pretty crazy, and it has to do with that electric vehicle stock. Uh, of course, it was just added to the S&P 500. Uh, the rebalancing was done on Friday, and I got this data from NASDAQ, which I thought was just amazing. Friday, by the end of the day, if you took every stock into account, a record 1.7 billion shares traded in their closing auction, and that was worth about $150.8 billion. So with this rebalance that we saw on Friday, last Friday, yes, it was expected uh, to be a big day, but a record amount of trading volume in the closing auction, which, which was pretty amazing. And that was all Tesla stock, or was that every stock in the, in the index? Every, every stock, every say, stock. Okay, right, right, right. Because eight, nine billion in a given day is a pretty strong day. That's amazing. All that in, in just the closing auction. Right. Just, just the closing auction is amazing. 
Well, at least we can stop thinking about what's going to happen when Tesla joins the index. We we now know, and we can. We I'm personally can all, glad we about. We can that. all move on with our <laughs> lives. But uh, Anastasia, how about you? Have you seen anything crazy in the, in the w- past week or so? You know, I don't know if I've seen anything crazy except for, of course, the mutation of the virus that we had to contend with um, uh, with last week. And maybe this is not really crazy, but th- this is telling that. There's a few big fears out there for 2021, and topping that list is exactly that, is what if this virus mutates and what if it slips past the vaccine that is absolutely top of mind for investors? And the second one is what if we do have severe allergic reactions to the vaccines that are out there? So, you know, typically it's some geopolitical risk or central banks or recession or something like that. But it continues to be the virus and the healthcare concerns that kind of dominate the risks for 2021. Hopefully 21 will bring us all um, positivity and something better than what we all experienced this year. I got to say, Sarah, I was running out of things to worry about, but now Anastasia has has reloaded me for the new year. So I feel better now having uh, a full plate of things to worry about. It doesn't seem right if you don't have something to worry about. I'm going to help, Mike. (laughs) Well, uh, if if anyone else has something to add to Mike's list of things to worry about, remember, we do have our very own podcast hotline and you can give us a call at 646-324-3490. Leave us a message, uh, ask us a question, let us know what crazy things you have seen in markets, sing us a, a holiday song or a Christmas carol, whatever you want, and uh, maybe we'll even play it on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Just no heavy breathing. That always creeps me out. <laughs> Nothing to creep Mike out, to yeah. be sure. Uh, but unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. Anastasia Amoroso, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everybody. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at, at Sarah Ponsek. Mike is at Reganonymous. And you can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. Also, thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Jordan Gospore. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.